0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for Sporting Kansas City Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and of course wherever you stream your video content on the 810 Facebook page, YouTube page, and wherever you get your podcasts as well. We appreciate you joining us, and it's a little bit different schedule. A lot of things are different in today's world, but we're coming at you uh, originally on a Friday night here because of the Tuesday game that Sporting played earlier this week. I'm Nate Katie. Joined, as always, by Ali Trost and Carter Augustine, and we got a busy show for you today, so we're going to dive right into it because uh, I don't need to tell you, if you're listening to this show or watching it, uh, that it's been a tumultuous week in this country and in the world of sports, and Major League Soccer is no exception. Five of the six games that were scheduled to be played on Wednesday uh, were canceled because of player protests with the latest uh, – Situation that's taking place on the social justice front in this country, and we don't know what the future holds for this weekend as well. That spurred a rash of stories coming out of the Salt Lake City area, and we're going to talk about all of that with our good buddy Brian Dunsith, who is, of course, the co-commentator for Real Salt Lake, former national team player for the U.S., and i also broadcast for Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Uh, trust me, you're going to want to listen to that interview. His insight from minute by minute the day that RSL was one of the teams that was supposed to play their home opener of this phase all the way through it. So stay tuned. We're going to give a lot of time to Brian Dunseth coming up to talk about all of the issues involving Major League Soccer and specifically the ownership in Salt Lake City. But we also have a Sporting Kansas City game from this past Tuesday to dissect a 5-2 loss against the Houston Dynamo that uh, is not going to sit well with the team and a game coming up, we think, on Saturday against the Colorado Rapids so Ali let's jump into it starting off with what Peter Burmese had to say this week because uh, look he did a press conference yesterday we assumed after the game on Tuesday there was going to be a lot of questions about the defense and, and the issues there turns out there were some stories that were a little bit bigger than that for Peter Burmese to talk about just like there have been for everybody else
1: yeah, it was it was kind of funny in a way. Vermees was joking, you know, in this day and age, and everything going on in this very strange and, like you said, tumultuous 2020. He's like, I have to be a doctor sometimes with COVID. I have to be, you know, not he couldn't find the right word to use with everything going on on the social justice front. But what we've learned in the last few months is that sport is that sporting Kansas City. Um, they've worked very hard, at least in the locker room and with the club internally to have open dialogue and have those hard conversations, give their players of color the floor to talk about their life experiences. And so, of course, Peter Ramiz, in light of everything that has happened with the shooting of Jacob Blake, uh, addressed the media giving his statement on what's the latest within the club following that horrific incident.
2: We as a club, the league, um, we've met with the players um, over you know all the issues that are going on at the moment. And understand that there is a, um, you know, there's 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 some real issues right now concerning our country that have to be dealt with, and truly understand that there is uh, incredible support for that. And so, um, we've listened to our players, we've you know listened to staff members, and you know we're incredibly supportive of. Um, their views and the things that they're doing. I obviously um, we all want to we all want to be able to do our profession, play games, coach games. You know, sports staff wants to be able to do their job. Everyone does. Um, and at the same time, I think that there's there's a real need for some change in these areas that that are that are, you know, frankly that are just unacceptable in our society. And so, um, unfortunately, these are the things that. Um, right now have to be done to obviously garner some type of support um, and and some attention and so you know my hope and, and and wish is that we get back to games as soon as possible but um, you know fully fully understand um, why why these situations are happening
1: so there's peter Vermese and and you know i just think that when you hear Vermees talk about the way that he likes to lead his locker room and the way that the players talk about the opportunity that they've been given throughout this entire year, especially um, to voice their concerns, to share their life experiences. One thing remains consistent, and that is just the open dialogue and the comfort level that Vermees has, has really initiated as the manager of the club. And so it was no different hearing him talk about that there. And and now, Nate, like you mentioned, we just wait and see with Saturday night. Will there be a game? Vermees says that they are preparing as if there will be. and And who knows what's next for Major League Soccer.
0: So we'll bringing in Carter Augustine, who's doing his part of the show from the facility out there, Carter's tier one, by the way, I, I'm tier three, just for, you know, in case we're getting into that kind of conversation, but, but that means Carter that you're, you're around these guys more than the rest of us. You, you are in the bubble with sporting Kansas city. And I'm just curious what you've heard about conversations. We know as Ali said that the conversations uh, back during the George Floyd situation were very open and progressive with the team um what's it been like around the team the last couple of days since this latest uh, round of conversations have taken place
3: yeah I mean I don't want to speak for the players uh, um, I think sporting has some guys that have really stepped up in these last few months as well and made their voices and opinions heard the likes of Kyrie Shelton and Amadou Dia I think especially have kind of led the way in terms of uh Really cultivating discussions within the locker room, and we saw that lead to their Juneteenth protest, which still, for me, is one of the one of the best things this club has ever done. And um, and you, Allie, just spoke to it, but um, you know, we live in a in a time now where players can can make their voices and opinions heard more than ever. And um, I've been really impressed throughout these last few months uh, with with those with Guys on the team doing that Um, past few days, I I think it has weighed heavily on, on a lot of these players here at at Sporting KC. Um, I'm curious, you know, SKC got the, I guess, the benefit of playing the day before, so uh, that game didn't get canceled. And um, I'm curious what would have happened had, had the timeline been different. Um, You know, personally, just on the Milwaukee Bucks uh, protest or or strike. when they were you – when know, I, I first heard about the Raptors we uh, were talking about it, but then obviously Milwaukee being really close to the Blake um, situation and being you know, a local team, um, I was just texting some friends when they first announced that they were going to do it, and I honestly didn't know w- what the impact would be just because I feel like the people that the Bucks are trying to talk to don't really care about the NBA, and that was just me being o- honest, on, and I'm, I think I was completely wrong because you saw the Bucks snowball into Major League Baseball uh, taking action. We saw five of the six games in MLS taking action. So it really became uh, the the entire world of sports in the United States um, coming to to make their voices heard. And um, yeah, as of right now, I think the team is preparing as if they're going to play against the Rapids on Saturday. But it was a, a momentous and tumultuous week, and I think it did weigh heavily on some of the some of the players here and, um, just because and I think you get the sense from from statements from all the teams that protested in, in all the sports uh, on Wednesday and I guess yesterday and today um, you know they they've been trying to make their voices heard this entire summer all the way back to George Floyd and then for something like this to happen again it, it just seems they, they seem tired and Uh, Just finally, Ali mentioned Peter Vermees saying I have to be a doctor during COVID. I have to do this. I would encourage everyone if they haven't to listen to Doc Rivers postgame interview from earlier this week where he just sounds exhausted saying I just I want to be a basketball coach, you know, and and, um, it's just so powerful. And I'm really excited to see athletes and coaches across all these sports make that jump and and you know this is very tough I, I would say for anyone to to stand up and and make their opinion heard um and they're doing it so um the, and, and it's honestly it's something they don't have to they really don't have to and it's just that that they're choosing to and so hearing that from doc rivers hearing that from peter Vermees, you know seeing everyone and. Being athletes and making their voices heard when in a time when they, they don't have to, but they really want to make a difference is inspiring to me.
0: So uh, one thing I would add to, to what Carter said as well is um, I think we should remember what the National Hockey League has done because um, you're talking about a league there that is overwhelmingly uh, played by white uh, and many times non-American people. And so they shut their league down. Now, they took some criticism for playing the first night. And I know are some African American players in the league that were pretty upset by that, but to go back to what Carter was talking about, how, you know, which, which audience are we trying to reach here and, and who's listening. And I think that, you know, one of the comments we've heard a lot about social justice is that real change doesn't happen until the people that aren't directly affected start to care as well. And I think when you see us, a league like the NHL, very different demographic breakdown than what we're talking about in the NBA, when they do the same thing, I think, if you want to hope for change, you hope that statements like that show that people who aren't directly being affected by this are taking a stand as well. Maybe that's going to change for something. Now, an interesting thing for me, and you mentioned it, Carter, the, the coach is saying, look, I want to be a basketball coach. The three of us want to be sports broadcasters. We want to talk about games. Um, this is and, and in some weird ways, sports now are even more important than when things are going great in society. Because at the end of the day, sports are a distraction for all of us. And I understand some of the players are saying, look, we're not going to be your distraction right now. There are more important things going on. And I fully respect that. I'm not saying anything to diminish that whatsoever. Um, It is just interesting at the same time. I don't know about you guys, but there are times when you feel so overwhelmed by everything that's happening that it's nice to sit down and watch a ball game and complain about the center back rotation. (laughs) because it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, I think we start to realize that the things you get wrapped up in and angry about during the course of a sporting event, I'm more aware now than ever how really insignificant those things are. And it's nice to be able to distract yourself with some of those insignificant things when you're surrounded by, by rotten things all around you. And so that, to that awkward transition, I try to give it we will talk a little bit about the, the Sporting Kansas City game on Tuesday and how it transitions forward. Ali, I know you asked Peter Vermees about this—the uh, center back rotation because at Sporting Kansas City—it has been a big rotation lately. They turn around, and give up two goals or five goals on Tuesday. What did Peter have to uh, to say about that?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest critiques that fans have had in the past of manager Peter Vermees is his lack of rotation when it comes to the lineup. He's big on continuity and consistency. However, in the last few games we've seen, in the last three games, we've seen three different rotations and pairings at center back. So I asked him what the strategy behind that move is. And here's what he had to say.
2: Well, I mean, you've also seen, you know, different midfielders, different wingers as well, um, outside back. So, uh, and and obviously a lot of players being subbed in. So uh, the reason being is because look, we're playing five games in 15 days. And, um, you know, as I said, when we were in Orlando as well, climate is always going to have a big effect. Um, down there it was the heat. Now we have not only the fact that we're, you know, playing in climate, but we're also traveling in the day of a game. Um, you know, we have little rest in between. You, you look at, uh, you know, the heat of the night we played our game against Houston, and now we're going to go to – Altitude with Colorado. So there's just all those things, all those factors that are being taken into account. And I just got to make sure that I keep fresh legs on the field as much as possible um, with trying not to also disrupt the team. Um, you know, the, the difficulty is, is that if you really look at it, we've had three starts to the season already this year. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard for any team in this league. And, and I would probably throw the question back to you guys. Tell me a team that you think has been consistent in their play and in the results um, this season. And I think it would be very difficult for you guys to find somebody. Uh, and it's, I think it has a lot to do with everything that has, has transpired with, you know, like I said, three starts to the season. But it really has to do with making sure the players are fresh and, and I'm not putting anybody in harm's way.
0: It was actually an interesting point there, Ali, that he made about the fact that there's rotations in a lot of positions. But for some reason, we, we will focus on some more than others. I do think it's interesting, and I'm to bring Carter in on this. Um, we have seen just through the first two games that there are some different approaches around the field that Peter Vermes is using to mitigate the minutes. For example, Roger Espinosa has pretty much been starting every game, but he's not been playing all 90 minutes like he used to. He's been getting subbed out. seems like, in general, the midfield, we're seeing you know the same starters, but they're subbing those guys out sometime in the second half. Maybe that's the way of managing minutes there on the back line. It's been a little bit more of a rotation with the exception of Graham Zusi, who plays every game on the wing. It looks like we can start to see a little bit of rotation being played on the wing. I'm curious what your thoughts are Carter, just on how you see Peter trying to handle a span of five games in 15 days.
3: Yeah, he brought that up. He brought up five games in 15 days to Ali's question. And he, and so he did point out that there will be some rotations in Um, many different positions Um, I think you know when you look at center backs maybe that's um, a lot of people will say that's a position you don't need to rotate as as much as other positions because they just don't run as much on the on the field but uh, I think just trying to keep legs fresh because we uh, should phase two get announced here there's just going to be more games on on the back of of this busy schedule as well so yeah, I would expect um, to see some rotation continue as we as we go through the four remaining games in that five and fifteen stretch, and then of course they have the sixth uh, a week later. So uh, maybe that will give them a little bit of rest there on the back end. But yeah, they've got they've got four really quick games coming up.
0: I think one of the things that Peter pointed out too that is is worth noting because a lot of times you can focus in on your own team, and this is not to excuse away the performance on Tuesday. It was a rough one. There's no doubt about it. Sporting Kansas City will want to bounce back from that. But he pointed out, show me the team that consistently has been great across MLS because there are times we thought LAFC looked like the best team in this league and they were going to run away with things. And they've had a couple of stinker performances. Um, It it, it does not seem to be something that anyone is immune from, if you'll pardon the pun, during during these times right now. But a bad performance can happen. Now it's about how you react to it. We'll talk more about that later after this next segment. But this next segment, we're going to break for now because we don't have enough time to talk with Brian Dunst about all of the unbelievable, unforgettable happenings in MLS and specifically in Salt Lake. That's right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. All right, we're back and we continue on another edition of the Sporting Kansas City show with myself, Nate Bucati, along with Ali Trost and Carter Augustine. And we're happy to be joined now by one of our good friends in the world of MLS and just the world of soccer broadcasting as well, uh, our buddy Brian Dunsith, who wears a lot of hats. You can see him and hear him on Real Salt Lake broadcasts. I'm a big fan of his show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio that he does with our good buddy Tony Miola that you can listen to in the afternoons as well. And, and I'm sure many other things in between. Um, so we have a lot to get to with Dunny. Dunny, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing?
4: Uh, it's been a wild, wild, what is it, like 36 hours, 48 hours? I'm not even sure. Uh, from Wednesday evening showing up at the stadium and kind of a powerful and emotional statement from both LAFC and Real Salt Lake to some serious some serious interviews, serious consequences, and ultimately a huge article, an inflammatory, horrific article published by The Athletic uh, yesterday evening. So yeah, it's been a while. It, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if it's ever been a crazier 36 hours in Salt Lake City with regards to Real Salt Lake and uh, the sporting scene out here in the SLC.
0: Well, and, and Dunny, it, it touches everything in MLS as well. You guys are kind of at the epicenter of a lot of this stuff, but it affects everybody. And it's crazy because we've had some dates over the last four months. I'll never forget March 11th when the, for, the, the sports world kind of came to an end that first time around. This last 48 hours when the sports world has kind of come to an end, at least here and there, uh, f- for different reasons, this, this has been an unforgettable year. And for all those reasons, but let's talk about these 36 hours for you. Um, and let's start with game day itself. Yeah. Um, we've, we started hearing things in the NBA about the fact that they might not be playing in the game. Can you just kind of take us back through what your experience was like on that day, how it came down, and uh, I guess just, just what it was like when, yeah. when everything happened?
4: So I was sitting right here in a three-piece suit doing counterattack because I had to go straight to the stadium afterwards, uh, and there was just no time to go get dressed in between. So I'm like already pitting out, just hanging out in the suit doing counterattack. <laughs> and you saw you, I I saw the first uh, Milwaukee. I started seeing tweets about they're putting the basketballs away, and I'm you know I'm sitting here and here's my setup and I've got my comrades, I got my phone, and then I got my my laptop right next to me. And all of a sudden I see confirmation that Milwaukee Bucks have decided to boycott the game. And I'm like, wow, that's a really powerful statement. Then the entire slate of NBA games uh, and then major league baseball with the Milwaukee Brewers. And so then, you know, we're talking, Andrew Williams, Tony Muell and myself, Emmett McConnell in the studio. And all right, so like is MLS going to jump in to this? And I knew that Nashville was going to be at Orlando city. So I sent a text to a current player on Nashville and they're inside the locker room. It was 5.45 p.m. exactly. And they're like, no, we haven't even had a conversation about it yet. Nobody's nobody's approached this conversation of, are we going to back out of this game? So from that moment, top of the hour, I get my truck. I'm driving to the stadium. I'm listening to the game being called. I get to the stadium 20 minutes later, put my phone up, Inter-Miami, Atlanta. I thought that was the game to watch. And all of a sudden, I see Rodolfo Pizarro and Inter-Miami standing on the field, and there's no there's no Atlanta. And I'm listening to Drake Cordero, and I'm listening to uh, to Ray Hudson, the magisterial one. And they're kind of waxing poetic on real time about what's happening. And that's when I knew there's no chance. And so I see looking down, RSL side of the field is set up. I was told from an RSL side, it's a go. We are playing no matter what. And then uh, we're off. We're on. We're off. We're on. And that's when all the players were trickling in. Um, and that's when LAFC started walking in, the coaching staff. So I see Mike Sorber, I see Zach Abdel, I see um, Kenny Arena, I see Ante Razov, I see Bob Bradley, and then I see John Thornton, who's the team president, general manager. He's—I he, don't even know what he is. He's on everything for for LAFC now, and he's just glued to his phone. And he's like walking around the field. And then some of the players saunter in, and that's when Mark Anthony Kay walks up. And Mark Anthony Kay had probably the biggest statement that then Josie Alston mm-hmm. kind of jumped in. It was the context of the tweet was at MLS at Don Garber. um, Where's your statement? You know, I don't feel safe. Something to that effect. And that's when I knew, um, you know, I saw Mark come in, Jordan Harvey, the MLS player rep was alongside of him. Uh, That's when Natham Onoha walked out and met face to face. Zach McMath was with him. So the two player reps and black players for change kind of player reps and um, that's when the conversation happened. I could just tell from the body language it wasn't gonna happen. I yelled at Zaki, Zachy. Zachy Abdel, the goalkeeper. I was like, Are we on the goalkeeper coach? I was like, We on? He's like, no. And then texted Natum immediately and he confirmed. And that's when I asked Natum to come on camera because we still had to do our pregame show, even with the game being canceled. So we did 45 minutes of a pregame show. And you guys know better than anybody. The the easiest part in the world is being an athlete and asking someone to come on. Hey, you broke a record, you gotta shut out, you gotta win. You got a tie, you go in the playoffs, or it's, hey man, you were at fault for the red card and the team lost, or, you know, the worst point, I always give credit to the guys that step in front of the camera when it's like the worst case scenario, because that, those are the guys that I think are the leaders. Uh, And Nedim did a great job. I just texted him, I said, listen, I cannot convey properly what this conversation looks like, nor can I convey how powerful of a message this is. Will you please help me? And he's like, absolutely. So he gave us 15 minutes of his time. It was an incredibly powerful interview. Real Salt Lake tweeted it out uh, following the announcement. Uh, and Nadim's incredible, um, very highly educated. I always joke, I was like, your, your accent gives you uh, the advantage right now. And then your <laughs> intelligence takes you over the top. Um, but from Man City to QPR, Sunderland to QPR, he's seen it and done it. He's such an incredible leader. Uh, Mark Anthony K came on, Zach McMath came on, and I think it was you, I tweeted out the imagery of you know the two lines in the front row taking a knee, and just Real Salt Lake, their staff, IFC, their staff. I just thought of a whole moment, and a moment where I think all of us should just shut up and listen, because they understood there was going to be 5,000 people inside of that stadium. They understood there were game day, week- game day workers that needed that money. They understood the gravity of that situation, that there was going to be a broadcast that was going to be put out. This was bigger. They wanted to, to fall in line with what the NBA was doing, what Major League Baseball was doing. And it wasn't lost on any of these players. Uh, and it didn't matter race, nationality, color of skin. They were all collectively uh, recognizing the importance of that statement. Um, so for me, I kept saying over and over, just shut up and listen. It doesn't matter where you fall in line. Whether you believe in taking a knee, whether you believe in what the power of this moment looks like, just understand that these players have a message and it's important to listen. Um, And since then, a little side note, yesterday morning with Neda Monuoha, it took me me two and a half hours for he and I together to reach out to the Granite Education Foundation. And as of Tuesday, we're going to meet and uh, put our platforms together for underprivileged children here in Salt Lake City to start with breakfast and lunch Uh, then we're going to talk about everything from backpacks to school supplies and try to give back. Because if we want to start with systemic change, let's start with the children. So it can happen. And I think both he and I are using what happened on Friday, or excuse me, Wednesday night at Rio Tinto Stadium um, to do something and generate something positive here in Salt Lake Valley.
1: Brian, before we move into some of what else has come as a result, of that Wednesday night uh, cancellation, postponement, boycott from the players. I'm curious, as a former player yourself, when you look at the progress and the platform that these players have always had but are now capitalizing on more so than ever, what's your reaction to that? And what progress have you seen since your playing days?
4: Uh, I mean, it's it's day and night, it really is. And I think what's what's incredibly powerful about a soccer locker room, and I've said this for years, and having played over in Europe, um, having grown up in Southern California, the dynamics of a locker room are some of the most open and inviting that you can possibly imagine. Whether, you know, the, the, the color of skin, the, the race, creed, nationality, the sexuality, uh, the backgrounds of players from all over the world, it is the absolute melting pot, the a soccer culture locker room. And I would say it's one of the most inviting cultures that you could possibly walk into. Now the competitive aspect's a different conversation, but when you're just talking about the humanity and the openness and the willingness to try to understand, I think for me, and I'm not trying to be a homer, I just think soccer really leads the way because it's always been a melting pot, always has. I think what's different about now versus when I played is the power of social media. Whether you're talking about Facebook, you're talking about Instagram, you're talking about Twitter, you're talking about whatever other form of social media there is, player voices have never been individually and collectively more powerful. Now they do get in trouble with some of those voices. Half minutes of the MLS's back bubble, um, that powerful eight and a half minutes of black players for change. and, And every black player from each individual team outside of Nashville and FC Dallas, unfortunately, because of what happened, standing there silent, that was the most powerful message I could ever imagine collectively being put in front of a national audience. Um, And again, important to just shut up and listen and try to understand where they're coming from and ask questions as to why this message is important. Uh, Does it invoke change? I think it absolutely does. Now, do we see visual change or do we see uh, actual change? I, I think that's where I think Major League Soccer, the individual clubs, Black Players for Change, MLS Players Association, and all the players inside of that locker room it's up to them now to take those next steps forward with whatever they feel um, they need to tackle, what they need to approach. Is it reform? Is it going to government? Is it local government? Is it just local voting, Uh, voting for your local mayors? Think about the impact that has on uh, your local police force. Um, All of those things are important because I think just shouting into the wind tunnel that is Twitter um, isn't going to get us anywhere near where we need to get if this is the direction that the collective
3: group wants to push for. I'm looking forward to some of those changes you just talked about, uh, Dunny. And hats off to you and and Onuoha for for what you just said. You're going to be starting in Salt Lake City next week. I think that's one of those very changes. So I, I think that's incredible. Um, very very awesome job by you two guys on that. Um, uh, NBA, play, NBA players sent a, and, and staff sent a letter to their commissioner uh, saying that they feel the owners of their league can do more. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe will we see something from, from MLS c- come out here um, as well. But uh, Ali alluded to it uh, a little while ago. Obviously, some other stuff has come from, uh, from the, the demonstration and the, the strike that the players put on the other, the other day. Uh, the owner of RSL, Del- Deloy Hansen, got on a, uh, on a couple radio shows yesterday. Uh, I listened to the afternoon one. Um, can you just kind of describe what the overall uh, vibe with the owner and, and the players and, and everything that's going on w- with that? Turbulence.
4: Yeah, a lot of turbulence. Um, so the timeline is yesterday as of about 8.30 Mountain Time. I got the heads up that Deloitte was gonna go on one of his uh, local radio shows. It's a show called Radio From Hell, X96. It's probably the most liberal uh, morning radio show in Salt Lake City. Full disclosure, Deloitte owns Broadway media. Deloitte is a real estate maven. I mean, self-made billionaire, four or five times over. The joke out here is uh, the city, or Utah as a state owns the mountains, Deloitte owns everything in between. And whether you're talking about apartment complexes, you're talking about commercial real estate business, um, you know everything out at Rio Tinto stadium from the solar panels owns the country to owns the company to the big screen, Daktronics owns that company uh, to the food and beverage. And, and I mean, the guy is a genius with regards to how he's created his empire, nothing short of phenomenal. That also includes Broadway media. Broadway media is, ESPN 700, which is Spencer Checkitz, which is kind of wild. He's the son of Dave Checkets, who he wrestled away Real Salt Lake's ownership for. He owns that radio station. X96, uh, 92.3, kind of the hip hop station. There's like eight, uh, I think there's five stations, but eight signals that Broadway media holds. He decided to go on. I don't think any of from the PR staff really wanted him to go on. When Deloy's on point, his messaging, his bullet points, uh, you know, he's going to knock it out of the park. I always joke if he goes off, if he goes off his bullet points, it's like a balloon's been popped, and you're not really sure where that balloon's going to start going because it could end up going in a lot of different directions. And listen, full disclosure, Deloitte's done, in my opinion, some phenomenal things in the state of Utah with regards to giving back, creating women's sorry, I'm getting phone calls all over the place, uh, women's women's uh, for women's soccer here in the United States, bringing Utah Royals from Kansas City in that franchise. He's done a lot. Yesterday, I think, was a frustration point that he needed to get off his chest. And you're talking about the financial threat, the commercial side, um, the loss of sponsorship deals, the fact that there was going to be 5,000 people in that stadium, the fact that they had spent hundreds and hundreds of hours of trying to figure out an entrance and exit plan with COVID-19 of how to get these these fans inside the stadiums and then ultimately the frustration of having to pay all the game day staff, the, the, the broadcast staff, that this game didn't happen. So I can understand from a financial aspect how frustrating this would be. If Deloitte would have come on and started and said something to the effect of, I understand the size and the power of the statement last night. I stand with my players, I stand with Major League Soccer. If there would have been kind of that, that, that I don't know, base layer statement, I think we wouldn't probably be having the conversation of even a second interview. But he came out flying and profoundly disappointed and profoundly disrespected. And th- there was nothing about the power of the movement on the field, it was about him. And it was about him playing up to his sponsors, uh, the money lost. And, from a business aspect, aspect, I understood that. But it fell on deaf ears. It was disappointing at best. Um, and for the players inside of that locker room, specifically a player like Nathamon uh, what that sounded like was a billionaire crying over lost money, instead of understanding the moment and understanding what these players were trying to accomplish. And that's where, you know, I felt like I got stabbed in, they're pulling the knife out, all of these analogies in real time that he was using, um, that created a a windfall. And that windfall was the moment they went to break, I think the ivory towers up in New York City and MLS headquarters and the owners of Major League Soccer. If there wasn't an official governor's board uh, meeting, um, sorry, board of governors meeting, uh, there most definitely was a serious conversation uh, because by the time DeWool boy went and met with the coaching staff his phone was already blowing up from Don Garber which inevitably led to hold on to your butts you're getting it handed to you which inevitably led to in the afternoon going on Spencer Checkett's show and tears apologetic crying um, and I've always said once I've always said if you have to go on two radio shows in the same day to get your point across you probably mucked up the first one pretty bad so yeah, he gave, I think he gave himself an opportunity to come back from the morning show interview, but then the athletic article came out and that was a, it was a horrifying, horrifying read of something that was whispers and had been circulating around the club for years, but it's the first time we've had players and staff, and former players and staff, go on record and put their name to their experiences.
0: Well, we've got Brian Dunseth here, and I promise you won't have to come on this show a second time today, Dunny, because <laughs> you're knocking it out of the park already. As uh, as is no surprise, um, so much to so much to get through. Uh, what you've already discussed, and I, I'm trying to decide which question I want to ask you next. You, you talked about the social media um, voice that players have, and you mentioned Mark Anthony Kay, him being there. My jaw was on the floor yesterday, refreshing Twitter. It was one of those days, uh, seeing the quotes coming out from the interview, the first interview that Deloy Hansen did. My jaw was on the floor reading some of those quotes. Then I was catching up on Mark Anthony Kay's Twitter timeline. And and it's one thing to sit there and see in days of the past where maybe players might go to a commissioner in a private meeting and have a conversation. It's just out there for all of us to see them challenging Don Garber, in old days when you might have had a problem with another team and the way they were going about things, you might have called those guys on the phone yourselves. He's on Twitter attacking Orlando City for their decision to play. So, I guess before we even get to the athletic article, which we obviously have to get to here, you touched on in a moment. I'm curious, as a former player, what your reaction was to Mark Anthony Kay's going after Orlando City. At that time, at least, and I don't know the details, I thought. Well, they just played that game because they didn't know everything else that was coming down. That made it seem like, well, maybe Orlando City knew that everybody else didn't want to play, but they wanted to play anyway because they could beat Nashville. I don't know. What was your reaction to that whole situation?
4: I thought it was bang out of line, to be quite honest with you. I thought Mark Anthony Kay was completely out of line to go after those groups of players without understanding the circumstances. Uh, and, and by the way, it was local time, 8, 10 p.m., the moment that the RSL game was officially, um, they were officially going to boycott playing, 8, 10 PM. I told you it was 5.45 when I texted somebody inside of that locker room at Nashville. And I thought Dax McCarty and Jaleel Anibaba afterwards did a phenomenal job laying down the timeline of what it looked like for them and explaining, hey, we're not all in the same locker room. This is two different locker rooms and oh, by the way, it's kind of like a standoff. Everyone's trying to figure out what, what's going on. Um, I thought that Jeff Lorenowitz and Luis Robles did the best job of trying to convey the confusion in real time to come up with the decision not to step on the field in Miami. Uh, because that that went right up to kickoff as well. And that was as soon as I got to the stadium, at about 520, 5, 530-ish is when I saw that happening. Um, I personally have a problem if you are going to broad stroke uh, some type of guilt towards two groups of of players that, in real time, if if having better information and more a a long longevity of a timeline probably wouldn't have made the decision to go out and play. Much in the same manner, Dallas and Salt Lake and San Jose didn't play. So, yeah, I, I, I personally didn't like that. I didn't think that was fair. I don't. I don't think without allowing both teams to have that opportunity to uh, speak or convey their message as to what was happening. And, and here's the other part. Let's be realistic. This is not in the same vein, but similar to when we were talking about player strikes with the Players Union and going up against, you know, Major League Soccer. Not everybody is in the same boat. We have seen a full concerted effort of everybody respecting this idea of Black players for change, taking a knee in these powerful moments. But we've also seen or heard players that are not interested in kneeling, players that, you know, I thought Walker Zimmerman taking a knee and putting his hand on his chest did a good job of walking the line between both. Um, I don't, you know, for these moments, I think the question going forward, and I I asked this to so today is a, a big moment in time right? you follow followed the lead of the NBA. If something unfortunately happens again, does are we looking at another boycott? Are we looking at another strike? Is this Major League Soccer following the lead of Major League Soccer, excuse me, of the NBA, of Major League Baseball, um, or are they willing to do this individually? Because I'm not sure that game gets canceled. I'm not sure all those games get canceled had the NBA chosen not to boycott their playoffs. Uh, but The reality is a couple different things. The NBA are billionaires, right? This is a revenue share. They're in a bubble. They're in the midst of the playoffs. These are powerful moments. It's easy to get this word across and they're gonna, okay, we're gonna do this together. Major League Soccer is what, six games in? We're about to hear phase two being announced here in a couple days of the rest of the season. What's gonna happen with Vancouver? What's gonna happen with Montreal? What's gonna happen with New York? this is, this is a completely different timeline. So powerful messages. Uh, and that's why I think it's important to listen and try to understand from player perspective what exactly the next steps are. Because even tonight, you know, Friday night, Montreal, Toronto, Toronto's gotten on the plane, they're on the ground in Montreal, but Josie Outdoor's a huge voice. Do they go to the stadium and decide that they're not going to play tonight? Uh, I was told that RSL's going to get on that plane at 9.30 tomorrow. But they had a players meeting this morning to try to talk about what's been happening over the last 24 hours. So we're in a big gray area. I don't think either of us know because I think this is a a monumental decision that's been made, but I think a very fluid one with a lot of gray area.
1: Brian, you pretty much are just speaking to what I wanted to ask you next because you used the word turbulent, which I think is a perfect word not just to describe what's going on across Major League Soccer, but the sports world in general in our country. And and if you had to pinpoint the next steps for Major League Soccer specifically and what needs to happen to smooth things out to continue the Major League Soccer season while also um, respecting where the players are coming from at this point, what does that look like to you?
4: Well, I, I think it's it's continuing continuing to be in conjunction with Black Players for Change and the MLS Players Association. Uh, I think inside the locker rooms, there's so many different conversations that are happening right now. Um, but I also think, from the players' perspective, this idea of these owners—they got monopoly money, right? They're so connected. They're on all of these boards. They, they you know, they're a part of all of these 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 um, these fancy nights out. These these you know these white collar events there's a lot of sway there's a lot of momentum and i know a lot of clubs have their own private foundations that have been doing a lot of things both publicly and privately out here the rsl foundation takes kind of run down tennis courts and turns them into football courts I, or soccer you know football courts i know there's a you know giving back school education referees there there's there's so many things that you can do i would i think the direction of this is a continued open dialogue with and i don't even know is it is it Bi weekly meetings? Is it monthly meetings with Major League Soccer, with the Players Association? I mean, we're here chatting Zoom. You can, you can get a lot accomplished today via technology. But I think there has to be tangible, realistic um, steps at the local government, at the local legislature, to the state legislature for these players to have a voice uh, and have a voice to kind of create some type of change. And I, I don't think this is a conservative versus a liberal conversation. I think this is more of a general awareness of, you know, how to kind of, in this day and age, have voices of athletes who represent people that look like them, people that, that have the same faith, have the same, you know, color, sexual. There's just so many things across the board that it's a powerful moment. So yeah, I, I would hope that that's the next tangible steps. But I think the creation of Black Players for Change creates a powerful, powerful voice that uh, individually was important, but collectively is just so much more powerful.
3: Certainly. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, if you don't mind, talk about that article. Um, I'm just curious, you, you said obviously the, the allegations and they're pretty explosive. Um, do you know Andy Williams very well, having been there for so long? And um, what's, the, what's the overall sense in Salt Lake City? And I guess, the reaction to that athletic piece uh, on Delloy Loy Hanson?
4: Yeah, so full disclosure, I've known Andy since 1997. Uh, we have played on multiple teams together. Uh, I consider him a good friend. Uh, we are, we've always been in contact. So I've been, I, I've, yeah, I, I <laughs> yes, yes is the answer. Yeah. Um, where to start? These these rumors, these whispers have circulated around Real Salt Lake for years. Um, it's one thing to hear the rumors, it's another thing to have people go on record, because the moment that you go on record, these are explosive allegations um, and explosive allegations that were corroborated by multiple people, by Paul Tamario, Chris Cambrani, uh Sam Staceful, and Meg Linehan. Uh And so for some background, Chris Camrani was the beat reporter for the Salt Lake trip, covering Real Salt Lake for years before he left to cover um, for the went to the Athletic. Sam Staceful used to be uh, alongside Trey Fitzgerald as one you know PR staff at Real Salt Lake before leaving a couple of years ago. And then Tenorio overall is just a fantastic uh, a fantastic journalist as as well as Meg. But yeah, when you're talking about current employees, you're talking about former players, you're talking about um, current players and negotiations and comments that were made in the hallways. Deloitte is gregarious. He's got a huge smile on his face. He's a huge personality. Um, And he goes off the cuff. He goes off the cuff. And there's been times where in front of a lot of people, things are said, and you're just like, wow, did he really just say that? Like, oh my gosh. Like, and, and it wasn't, There were never, for me, I would never experienced moments. And so I had only heard whispers because I try to stay as far away as I possibly can for so many different reasons because I just want to call soccer games. And so my relationships with the office and the players, I I try to keep some distance with this. Uh, But when that went live, I got the heads up it was coming. I was literally on air, and while Tony Miola was talking, I was like this, reading the article as as we were in the middle of the show. And I just don't know if there's a way out of this. I don't know how, and and we saw the statements from Major League Soccer and Don Garber. We saw the statements from Lisa Baird and the NWSL. Uh, We saw the statements attributed to USL and Jake Edwards. And then we saw the MLS Players Association call for his immediate suspension amidst, amidst the investigation and all the other leagues, uh, you know, they're, they're a cry for the investigation. Here's the thing to remember, Deloitte owns the stadium, he owns Real Salt Lake, he bought the USL side, he started Real Monarchs, he brought over uh, Utah Royals for the NWSL, he has a training facility down in Harriman that is incredible, and he has the uh, RSL Academy that is housed down there, so four teams, and then has a STEM school that's attached to the facility in Harriman. And then he owns all of the apartment complexes and commercial real estate around there. This is a a monumental decision, whatever happens, if he's allowed to keep the team or if he's forced to sell the team, because it's not just an MLS decision. This is going to be an NWSL decision, this is gonna be a USL decision, because all three parts of this pyramid are underneath the umbrella of his ownership. So that's something that I think that everyone's got to keep in mind. I've gotten multiple texts that say just like, game over. There's no way back. And this is coming from New York City. Um, In the cancel culture that we live in, I I mean, people were calling for him even after the apologetic interview with Spence Checkets. This inflammatory, horrific, horrific article. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of waiting for some type of an announcement. But the timeline that I was told is that, yes, there's sole discretion from Don Garber. There's also a 75% vote from owners to take the club away, much like we saw with Vergara down at Chivas USA, where they basically bought him out, shuttered the franchise, and then introduced LAFC through new ownership. Uh, You have the Anthony Precourt situation where, you know, he sold out in Columbus and then basically was gifted the franchise down in Austin. Uh, if this does go down, I was told the value of the franchise is between 350 and 400 million. That Deloy, if this does happen, that he's forced to sell, it's given six month window to sell. He would not be running the club. He would have no contact in the club. Uh, and then after six months, if he didn't sell, then the league would take control and sell the club for the value and the owners that they see fit. So. It's fluid. I don't know. Um, but I know that there's, there's, I was using this analogy yesterday. I think Deloitte went looking for his pound of flesh in the morning and I didn't think he realized that the pound of flesh would be his own by the end of the evening. Um, because I don't think that, uh, there's a couple of journalists that threw it out on Twitter and I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much I agree with this, but they threw it up on Twitter saying, Hey, give us your worst Deloitte Hanson story. And the tweets were unbelievable. DMs, text messages, uh, former employees, people that have been wronged, uh, people that are looking for their opportunity for revenge based on whatever truths or whatever happened to them. There's a lot of people. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a secondary article at some point that comes out from The Athletic uh, because there's a lot of momentum based on the anger uh, in this last, what is it now, 27
0: hours since that first interview. Mm. Well, Dunny, we could keep going with this. Uh, there's so much to cover, but I know you've got a lot of other calls and interviews. So I just have one last question for you before we let you go here. And this comes from the standpoint of us here in Kansas City. I, I think we have some real similarities market-wise to okay. what Salt Lake has. You know, the history of, of really an MLS 2.0, so to speak, having those really proud franchise years. But also, Lee, I don't know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but here in Kansas City, I think there's always that that reminder that Now, the league was ready to get rid of this town as a market right away. And if it wasn't for really great ownership stepping in and rebranding the team and building the stadium, there wouldn't be a franchise in Kansas City. But it turned into being one of the model franchises. We know how important ownership is, especially in a market like ours and yours. So what's your confidence level, concern level if something happens, like you said, with Deloitte Hansen being forced to, to relinquish ownership of the team? Does it worry you for the future in Salt Lake? Do you feel like it's on stable enough ground with the infrastructure that's been built there and everything that things will be okay? I guess where's your headspace when it comes to all that?
4: Well, first, I want to give a ton of credit to Deloitte Hansen because if he had not taken over from Dave Check, it's this club is not where it is currently. Now, could he have spent a lot more money? Yeah. I mean, he's a billionaire, he, but he's also a savvy businessman. And I think the business side of this organization is a much better spot than it was based on his business acumen. Um, Now on the field, I think they're the only team what in the last three years that have won playoff games in all three seasons. Um, You know, there's something to be said about, uh, you know, promoting from within. When you talk about Freddie Juarez coming from the RSL Academy and the Monarchs and assistant coaches and being a head coach, Elliott Falls starting from the ground level and becoming the general manager. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of positive things that Deloitte's been a part of through this organization to build, build it, right? Um, if he's forced to sell, I think there's a lot of local ownership. There's a lot of money in Salt Lake City, much in the same manner there's a lot of money in, in, in Kansas City area that people would be interested in. Uh, I was talking to a former player from Real Salt Lake and it's like, He's like, buddy, my buddy just, or my man just sold $7 billion uh, worth of technology. Uh, $350 million? Yeah, I'm in. I-, I think there's so much interest level. I mean, even from the point where Deloitte, what was it to, I can't even remember the timeline now, maybe 2010, 2011, when he took over ownership, it was like $20 million is the price that he that he got the club for, $25 million somewhere in there. Now, he spent a lot building Harriman and building up the clubs, but If he's forced to sell, he is most definitely making hundreds of millions of dollars on this club. Uh, I think there's, I think whoever would want to come in would have much like the Miller family that owns the Utah jazz and basically owns all the other sporting stuff here. Uh, I think there'd be plenty of pride, local civic pride, to put this club quote unquote back in the DNA and the fabric of what it once was. And I know there's a lot of good people behind the scenes that still want to be a part of this, regardless of DLH, if DLH is involved or not. Um, so, yeah, there is always that threat, but I just think I think that there's enough of a vetting process with Major League Soccer that the fear of an idiot coming in and, and getting the reins of, of Real Salt Lake just isn't going to happen.
0: Well, that's certainly good to hear. And uh, however it turns out, man, we, we hope the best. Um, even though Sporting KC and RSL are rivals, the rivals because th- that, that's what makes this sport beautiful and makes the league beautiful. And so we, we obviously want health for the league and health for, for, for a great market like that. Dunny, I tell you what, man, you're a pro. Th- there's a lot of people that wouldn't be willing to come on and talk about so many uncomfortable things in a market where he works. Uh, for a club that he that he does games for and everything, and you knocked it out of the park. I mean, we really appreciate it, and uh, all the best, man. Hopefully we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, that is uh, Brian Dunseth, one of the best, man, in the business. We're going to take a break. and we come back, we're going to talk about what we think will be the next game for Sporting Kansas City. It's on the schedule Saturday against the Colorado Rapids. That's right after this. We are back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show. Again, I cannot thank Brian, Dance, uh, Brian Dunsteth enough for joining me on the show. I think uh, that's a difficult spot. You put yourself in his shoes. You work for a club like that, but you also are a national pundit on, on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. And you have to answer these questions for things that you really didn't have anything to do with. I thought you did a remarkable job. So hats off to, to Dunny for that. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's get into – Really briefly, some thoughts on this upcoming game against the Colorado Rapids. And Carter, I'm going to start with you this time. Um, you were down in Orlando when these two teams squared off. That was maybe the typical wild and wacky MLS is back type game between sporting and the Colorado Rapids. What do you take from that game as to what it means, if anything, for this game we're going to see on Saturday?
3: I got two main takeaways. One is... Colorado was very aggrieved by the refereeing in the game and some decisions which, you know, I talked to some of the players today and, uh, for Sporting, and they thought the decisions were correct. So they're saying, you know, it's not really it's not really going to be revenge per se from Colorado um, on Sporting's players, but it is going to be, I think they're going to come out with a lot of passion Colorado because they feel slighted with how that game, especially the second half, went down in Orlando. Then, uh, I don't know about you guys, but the other thing for me is just the tactics in that game were really fascinating. And I, it's almost like I, I wish they wouldn't have been sent, that, uh, you know, had, had the red cards, Colorado, because I was really fascinated with the in-game adjustments that supporting KC made, and Kerry and Zavagnin and, and Peter Vermees um, tipped their hat to, to Robin Frazier for how he set up his team at the beginning of the game, and it really worked well against sporting in in the first half so uh, i want to see you know it's kind of the princess bride uh do they think that i think that i'm thinking what he's thinking <laughs> because uh they the Colorado started so well sporting adjusted really well so does robin fraser and that staff do they try the same game plan do they do they think sporting's going to do do their adjustment game plan and do they go, you know, counter that one? Like that's, I don't know about you guys, but that's just really fascinating to me to see how they're going to set up.
1: Yeah, Carter, I'm with you. This is a really intriguing matchup. And I think what we learned in the Houston game the other night is just because a team has had bad form in their last however many games doesn't necessarily mean that that poor form is going to continue or carry over into their next match. And while Colorado is winless in their last four games, they've got a pretty solid attack. I mean, you considered Kai Kamara, Diego Rubio, and then a couple of young players as well contributing to that. And as we've seen defensively, sporting hasn't looked their best, but it's all going to come down to how both sides game plan. And and that's something I'm really looking forward to in this one. I think it'll be a great game.
0: Carter, what was it, Uh, the the, the rule of thumb here, Uh, never get in a battle of wits with a Sicilian when death is on the line? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. can you incorporate way. this into the broadcast please
3: um, <laughs> yeah we, we will let's do <laughs> that
0: is it, what was it is it never getting a land war in asia is this something like that I think so that's what my, <laughs> oh man if we can get a princess bride reference going anytime we have uh we've had a successful show so it is i love that cat mask cat and mouse game that you're talking about though and, and that is definitely going to be an interesting one is the 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 motivation of the Colorado Rapids to wrong that right from Orlando, greater than the motivation that Sporting Kansas City will have to wrong to to right their wrong from uh, Tuesday. I think I got Colorado's backwards between wrong and right, but you you understand. Yeah. Um. So it'll be I think two motivated teams going at it, assuming we play on uh on on Saturday, and we're all assuming we will play. I think that what we do have is the benefit of some time. Carter mentioned that earlier, Uh, and it is a benefit. I mean, look. I'm not saying what's right or wrong to do when it comes to playing. Anytime you're going to make a life-altering decision in life, you'd like to have some time to try to separate your emotions from the decision itself and and to think about it and weigh all of the options and, and sporting and, and the rest of the teams that are going to play on Saturday will, will have that opportunity. So, uh, and Carter, you're going to be there.
3: I'm going. And, you know, that's another – that's another question. Uh, we saw Sporting do well, fly in, play Minnesota, and fly out the day of. But you know, Colorado altitude, whole different thing. Um, you want you wonder will that have an effect as well? But uh, I'm looking forward to to hitting the road and and uh, getting out to the old Dick Sporting Goods Park.
1: So, so no, no, no Carter's Nuggets, no Carter's Nuggets. Might
3: have to retire the Nuggets here. I don't know.
1: The, the Nuggets are not allowed to
0: retire. Just what, <laughs> halftime, whatever, just just fire out a Nugget or two. Uh, and, and, and the public demands this they do. Uh, from Carter. That's fair. That's fair. Well, hey, guys, that's going to do it for us. Again, our thanks to Brian Dunsa for joining us. Carter, safe travels to Colorado. Allie, uh, thanks for the time as always. We'll see everybody next week on the Sporting Kansas City Show.